Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm your host, Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Our regular host, Sean Newkirk, uh, right now is on the other side of the globe in Japan, taking in some Japanese baseball, so this week I'll be pinch hitting for him. We do have a great show for you today. Uh, Later on, we'll talk to Davo of clubhouseconversation.com to get his take on the Royals and also talk about some of the interviews he's done with some Royals uh, players, both past and present. But uh, first, we have a great panel of Royals Review writers here to talk about the Royals, including one of our newest writers. He's a longtime user of Royals Review, and he goes by the name of Hockeyus, uh, coming by way of Atlanta, Georgia. But by day, he goes by the name Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Thanks for uh, coming on the show today. And uh, our other two guests are longtime writers uh, covering the Omaha Storm Chasers. Minda Haas, how are you doing tonight? Doing wonderful. It's a beautiful night in Omaha. Also joining us is Josh Dugan, fresh off his latest work on a Bollywood movie. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. <laughs> you sound a little, sound a little exhausted. Uh, I, I was, yeah. I'm recovering. <laughs> well, I hope you're not too tired to talk about some Royals baseball. We're almost through, like I said, we're almost at the halfway point of the season. Uh, the team has really been uh, up and down this year. We've seen like a uh, very much a hot and cold team. Uh, let's just, I guess first, let me just throw out, like, what, what's kind of your assessment of the team right now and, and the Central Division? It seems like Cleveland's kind of jumped out to first place and jumped out to the, a little bit of a lead. Uh, they're a team that I think a lot of people have expected to take the division for some time. How do you kind of see this, the race so far? How do you see the race shaping up down the stretch? We'll throw it out. Jeremy, do you want to you start since you're the new guy? Sure. Um, I... You know, before the season started, I was with a lot of people. I thought that, um, you know, Cleveland was going to be the toughest, toughest team in the division for the Royals. And uh, then Cle- uh, Chicago jumped out to that huge lead, and, and they looked really scary for a little bit. And I kind of I kind of relaxed when the Royals started catching up to them. And, uh, and then the Royals took the lead, and I thought, oh, well, here we go. We'll just uh, ride our way to the, to the pennant now. But uh, the Cleveland Indians definitely – definitely come on strong and they definitely look scary and i i think that they're they're definitely the scariest team some people are still saying chicago and detroit are in it but i'm i'm just not buying it yeah, yeah chicago is, is kind of interesting they got off such a great start but i think it quickly became clear they had a lot of flaws uh i, I don't know minda and jo- josh do you have you guys completely written off the white Sox at this point and, and uh, should we write off the tigers as well i would uh 
I don't think the White Sox are that good. Um, the Tigers, who knows what will happen with them. You know, Sanchez has been, like, a huge underperformer, so it's not unreasonable to think that he could, you know, regress back to the mean and, like, near his near his career norms. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Cleveland seems like they – obviously, they're the team to beat. Um, and – I mean, we're talking about Cleveland on the heels of a 10-game winning streak, so that that should that should we should probably temper what we think about them right this instant because they're not gonna <laughs> they won't always win 10 in a row. So uh, I don't know. I'm not like I think they're playing a little over their heads right now, but their rotation is clearly the class of the division, maybe the class of the league. Yeah, I think that. Gonna finish 132 and 30. <laughs> no, no. It seems that way right at this moment. Mm-hmm. And kinda, I fell into the same kind of complacency or whatever that Jeremy described. Like, you know, as soon as the Royals took took first place ever so briefly, it was like, oh, okay, like, I don't know, maybe the magic is back or whatever that may be. And then another losing streak happened. And meanwhile, Cleveland just sort of became, I don't know, immortal? It seems like right at this moment. Maybe they'll lose again. Maybe they won't. But right right now they just look insurmountable. And it's a five-game difference at, at the time of this recording. And it just seems like a lot this late. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's still pretty early in the year. Like, I think probably at this time last year, wasn't Detroit still kind of in contention at this point? I mean, uh, I mean, two years ago, Detroit and Oakland seemed like world beaters. And then they had their huge collapses in the second half. Um you know, you talked about, uh, you know, just in the moment, it looks like Cleveland's a world beater. I think the Royals have kind of, Royals fans have kind of suffered that with the Royals because, like, it seems like one week they think the Royals are the best team in the world because they won, you know, five out of six. And then the following week, everyone seems to think the Royals are the worst team in baseball and can't win another game because they've lost eight in a row. Which version of the Royals do you guys kind of think they're closer to? Is this... Is this more of a, a team that has a lot of flaws, or is this a team that's still uh, the World Series, the World Champs, that just kind of needs some time to work things out? Um, I guess we'll start with Josh. I think you're the you're the pessimist in the side. I think uh, I think I know which way you're going to answer. Uh, I mean, I the rotation's obviously shoddy. <laughs> you know, like I don't think there's any getting around that right now. You know, Duffy's looking potentially good. Ventura, I'm watching. I, you know, we just watched him melt down. Um, it doesn't it, like the rotations. Not very good. I mean, honestly, like there's there's no getting around that, and it's hard to hard to figure. You, you know, every other game Kennedy's terrible. Every other game Volquez is terrible. Like it's it's hard to hard to bank on anything when they're that inconsistent. But like you know, there are position players who are underachieving, and they've gotten sort of they've gotten weird production it's almost like they're channeling the cardinals or something this year where they're getting weird production out of guys like guys like Whit Merrifield or or um why can't I think of people's names I'm too tired clearly or Butera even yeah. uh yeah. but like you know they're getting weird production out of role players Cuthbert has been solid surprisingly you know and so it's it's hard to say who who they actually are. I don't, I think they're probably a team that's going to, you know, be hovering around the upper to mid eighties for win total. And that's probably not enough to get it done. If Cleveland's the, 
if, if Cleveland, you know, seems they sure certainly seem like they're rolling towards a 90 plus win campaign. And it seems like uh, timing of the season is a weird one, but I guess, you know, we're a month out from the trade deadline. And so you've either got a month for like three starting pitchers to either magically appear in a solid way or, you know, there's, there's not going to be help for the rotation coming up for the minors. So, uh, you know, there's, there's three to four guys who have to really get with it and figure it out right now. Um, otherwise that's just too many major holes to fill in the month's time before, you know, we got to figure out if they're buyers or sellers. Um, and it, it might be an ugly midsummer. The, the rotation is just baffling to me because we start the year and Ian Kennedy looks amazing and Volquez is still throwing 96, 97. And, uh, and then Ventura, who was a guy who was just, was great through the second half of last year just is disappeared he's walking everybody and and the best starter in the rotation is the guy who nobody thought i i don't well maybe some people thought i didn't think he was going to get a chance to start this year danny duffy um it was just i don't understand this rotation it's it's the most it's the craziest thing i've ever seen yeah if you told anyone i think that danny duffy would be our most consistent pitcher in mid-june i don't know how many people would have believed that but here we are. So, um, you know, I was listening to Sports Talk Radio, which is always a, uh, you know, big chance to take here. But uh, they were talking about Danny Duffy and a possible contract ex- extension. Like, I guess more hypoth- hypothetically, would, would you sign him to like a long-term deal at this point because of the uh, potential he's shown in the last couple starts? And, you know, we've known the kind of potential he has for years now. It's just been a matter of putting it together and being consistent. And, of course, this week he threw eight, you know, eight strong innings against the Cardinals. He's looked really good over the last couple weeks. And, of course, the Royals, they need they need starting pitching, um, especially the next couple of years, because there's not a whole lot coming up through the minor leagues at this point. You know, can't count on Kyle Zimmer, and everyone else seems like they're really far away. So I guess I'll put it to you guys. If Danny Duffy, and he cer- certainly seems to be the kind of guy willing to sign an extension because of his, he really loves this organization by all counts. Is he the kind of guy you would commit a, four or five year deal to they were saying on the radio like 50 to 60 million dollars i think that's a little on the high end i don't think he'd command quite that much but is he the kind of guy that you'd want to commit four or five years to at his age with his track record with the tommy john surgery or would you kind of shy away at this point i'd do a four-year something maybe not 10 million a year but i think he's worth um, locking up for a while. I mean, worst case scenario, he's a you know long man for a couple of years, and at least at least they have someone. Um, but the you know the upside, the best case scenario, he is the guy who threw those eight innings the other night, and um, it's probably worth gambling on. I don't think that there's a ton out there in free agency that the Royals could afford, um, or that would be the right guy anyway. Um, so if if that is a conversation potentially happening in the front office right now, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I look at Danny Duffy and I think of an extension, if they could do something um, similar along the lines to what Wade Davis got, where you kind of pay him like, we think you're going to be a starter, but if the money is, the money is to the point where if he ends up being just a top notch reliever instead, that you don't feel like you've overpaid too much. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we know the floor is he's a shutout or like a shutdown reliever. You know, like I think a four four and thirty five something in that range. Uh, I think it's, I think in the worst case scenario, assuming of course, I mean, injury risk is obviously inherent in any of these pitcher contracts, but assuming health, I think it's four and 35 is, you know, four and somewhere in that range is, is, is feasible. That's a good point about him falling back as a reliever, because I think that would still be pretty much market rate for what a really yeah. good reliever. And that's what Sori is making these days. And he's not exactly the, you know, the lead of the lead right now. So, um, yeah, I think that that sounds like a ballpark of what I think it would take, or you know, what would make sense for the team, whether or not he's willing to do that. You know, we'll, we'll have to see. But I, you know, it'd be an interesting conversation if if those two sides decide to commit to each other long term. Jesus. Now, uh, you know, they wouldn't have this problem if you know the rotation was pitching doing a lot better. And you guys kind of cited the rotation issues. Uh, is this something they're gonna have to address at the trade deadline? And if so, like what? What's out there? What kind of pitcher do you think? Because obviously they can't get a Johnny Cueto type uh, with the kind of minor league depth they have. But um, what what do you see them doing at the trade trade deadline? I I will honestly be surprised if they do do anything like they did last year. I know I've seen some stuff out there about some of the different prospects they could trade, but I really feel like Dayton doesn't want to trade anyone he's got left that's got any value. Um, I could see them trying to do something like they did um, back in 2014, where they go out and they got, uh, you know, they got uh, Willingham and uh, Fraser, and maybe instead of instead of getting that that old bat, maybe they can maybe they can find some starter that they think can do something. I don't I don't know. I haven't heard any names that are really inspiring to me, and the prices are all sounding kind of on the high side of what I want to pay for any of those guys. So I don't, I don't see a lot of big trades coming for us. Yeah. I think, I think ideally you'd like a guy that's like a free agent coming up at the end of the year, but I don't, have you guys seen the list of free agent pitchers uh, for next year? Yeah, it's, it's Rich Hill. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, Rich Hill, I would actually love to get. Yeah. But he's like the cream of the crop. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also like, okay, well, it's, I don't know what they're going to trade to get Rich Hill or they'd have to take on Billy Butler or something like that, you know, and eat the rest of that Billy Butler contract, which I'm sure they don't want to do. I don't think they even want him back in the clubhouse. To be honest. So, no, no, no. I, I, you know, I got, I have to wonder too, like how much financially are they willing to take on? Cause uh, Sam Mellinger, I wrote in some article about how last year they, you know, they made the Quaid on Zobers trades, but they actually didn't take on any salary in those deals because they, were able to negotiate with those clubs and throw in an extra prospect to make sure they didn't take on money. So, you know, they're already at what $137 million for payroll this year, the highest it's ever been. And, you know, I, I know David Glass has, you know, gone into his wallet, but I don't know how much more he's willing to dip into his pocket. Uh, not that that they'll be, you know, I, I've heard some talk about like Melvin Upton, who just seemed, that seemed like crazy to me since he's got $16 million he's owed next year. So, do you guys? There's been a lot of talk about hitters, uh, the Royals being attached to. Is there any chance at all that they they add a bat to the lineup? I, I mean, just I don't know see. if it'd be worth it. I mean, if yeah. they give up, you know, anybody worthwhile or extend a lot of money to a bat, I mean, what is that without a rotation you can count on? There's there's just not that much space to upgrade the offense right now. 
Um, I mean, obviously you can upgrade the offense. I personally don't believe in Paulo Orlando uh, batting 350 the rest of the year. Um, but is, well, John Jay's obviously not better. He broke his arm. But uh, is Melvin Upton really better than Paulo? I don't believe in that either, so. Yeah, I, I mean, if he is better, it comes at a great cost, I think, that the Royals right. might be willing to pay. So, you know, another interesting name that came out last week was Danny Valencia, and we've kind of gone through the Danny Valencia experiment before. You know, he's, he's hit a lot better this year than he did in 2014 when the Royals got him. But he'd be a kind of guy, I think, that would uh, that that could play a lot of different positions, which I think would fit into this roster a little bit better than uh, Upton or Jay, who could only play outfield. Um, you could fill in a little bit third base, you know, kind of a hedge against Chesler Cuthbert if he, you know, crashes back to earth. He's a guy that can play the outfield a little bit. Uh, he can DH if Kendris Morales uh, continues to struggle, although he's, you know, Morales has been hitting a lot better the last couple of weeks. So that, that would make a little more sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is that he's a poor defender and a, by some accounts a little bit of an irritant in the clubhouse, which, um, you know, doesn't seem to fit their MO as far as clubhouse style. So, I, you know, I don't know. But I, I can see them maybe going after a guy that's like a, a depth guy, like a kind of like Ben Zobris, although not nearly as good as Zobris, but a guy that can play lots of positions, maybe give you some depth off the bench. But I agree. I don't see anyone out there that's, that they can afford that will be an upgrade over the starting position players they have right now if they can, if they think Morales is going to rebound a little bit and Orlando continue to hit and Witt continues to hit and Cuthbert continues. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ifs that need to happen for them to have a good offense, which maybe that's what they want to hedge against. I don't know. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Whit Merrifield and Chester Cuthbert, since they're the guys that have kind of come out of nowhere to be big surprises for the Royals. Uh, Minda, you've gotten to see these guys in Omaha. Uh, they kind of came out of nowhere this year. They weren't really on the prospect radar. What is it about them that's been different this year that's kind of made them able to have an impact at the major league level? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think, like, Cuthbert was a little prospecty, but I think that because he was signed young and he's been in the organization for so long, people sort of got, uh, I heard a phrase somewhere, like prospect fatigue. Fatigued, yeah. Yeah, where it's like, well, you know, I hear about this Cuthbert kid, but I haven't seen him, you know, advance, so I'm just, I don't want to hear about him anymore. But the fact is, he's super young, even at AAA, he was really young for for his level, and, and, you know, he can hit pretty well. Defensively, he's an adventure um, in sometimes really comical ways. Um, he's looked good at the major league level, though, so far. That's what's been surprising yeah, to me. Yeah, it's weird, though. It's like when he messes up, it's it's in ways that are, like, I don't know, like there was a play a few weeks ago in the majors where, like, he ranged over to catch a foul ball and, like, slammed into the – um, the railing of the dugout suite and like fold it in half over that railing. And, you know, it's like, it's just kind of almost comical stuff when he does mess up. But I mean, and occasionally, um, I don't know how much he's done it at, uh, in the majors, but it, at Omaha anyhow, he'd, he'd airmail throw it first. And I think he just gets excited and would just kind of forget how far away he is or how to gauge his throw. And, um, you know, his arm would get away from him, but, um, you know he's he's a pretty athletic kid and and uh, he can hit a baseball so I I don't know how good he'll be for how long but um, it's pretty great while it's there because he's he's just the best kid. 
it's and it's funny because like what, a couple years ago they joked that they didn't have a third baseman tree, and uh, now we've got you know Mike Mustakas who was a legit All Star last year. Cuthbert seems to be doing well, and Hunter Dozier behind him in Omaha seems to be doing really well uh, as well. Uh, Jeremy, do you do you buy? Are you all in on Chesler Cuthbert, or are you still kind of skeptical at what he can do? I'm I'm not all in on him, but I I look at him and the thing that I see with him that I don't I I haven't seen at least with with a guy like Whit Merrifield is he's had struggles. He struggled all through the month of May. And he made an adjustment, and he's been really, really good in June. He's been really hot in June. And so I, I don't think, obviously, he's going to be as good for the rest of the year, at least, as he's been in June because his, his BABIP has been really high. Um, but I've seen him make one adjustment, and, and that gives me hope that when the league adjusts to him again, he'll be able to adjust back again and, and keep progressing. Josh, what's what's kind of your take on the the Cuthbert train? Uh, I mean, you know, I I think obviously at one point back what three four years ago, you know, there was buzz that he was a borderline top fifty prospect. Um, the everything sort of subsided as he was so young for the level at all times, um, but he. Uh, I mean, I think he could reasonably be expected to be at least like a one, one and a half win player, which, you know, in in relief of Moustakas in light of the injury, I think, you know, I think ultimately that's playable. You know, it's not terrible. What, what do you, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, what do you think they, I mean, when Moustakas returns next year, I mean, he's got one more year till free agency. I guess I can see them maybe returning Cuthbert to Omaha just in case Moose gets hurt again. But, you know, is Cuthbert a replacement for Moose? Are they going to re-sign Moose and try to trade Cuthbert? How do you see that kind of playing out? Uh, well, I don't think they'll be able to sign, re-sign Moustakas. I, I mean, I I would say it's unlikely at least. He's a Boris, a Boris client. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's it's – I don't think Hosmer or Moustakas are back. You know, maybe maybe they re-sign Kane, but Moose Moose can get a relatively large free agent deal, assuming he, you know, has a 2017 that's, you know, that that 2015 and 2016 portended before the injury. Um, and I think going forward, they can probably rely upon. I I mean, I think they can probably hedge their bets and try to go with Dozier. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything. Uh, if anything, Cuthbert's, you know, establishing value for a trade going, you know, for a trade going into next year. Yeah, I think if it's considering his young, his youth too, his age, and um, he might, you know, they need some pitching really badly. He might actually be a decent trade chip to deal with this off season. So that'll be interesting. I mean, they could even move him at the deadline. He'd be one of the few. Yeah. One of the few pieces that I mean, the his immediate backup is there in Hunter Dozier, uh, and Dozier somehow has become <laughs> become a, a valuable piece himself. Um, you know, I think whichever whichever one the club decides is the one to move forward with, uh, the other one could be could be a deadline piece even if they wanted to get a, a starter. I mean they're so major league ready that I would I would, you know, opt for a starter with a year and a half left versus one with only right. a couple months, but well, one area I thought they might be active at the trade deadline would be second base, but 
the emergence of Whit Merrifield, who's been really a fan favorite and a sensation since he's come up, uh, has kind of removed the, the need to do that. Uh, Jeremy, are you? what's your take on Whit Merrifield? Are you, it seems like everyone's comparing him to Ben Zobrist, but of course he doesn't have the walk rate that Ben Zobrist had, or really the, the power that Ben Zobrist had, but you know, he is a, a gritty guy who can play all over the field. Um, what, what kind of player do you think he is, and will he, will he be able to stick in the major leagues? Um, I, I personally like the, the Michael Young comparisons he's been getting lately. Those are, those are real fun. Um, <laughs> but as, as far as whether, I think he can stick in the major leagues. I think he's got a really good approach at the plate. Um, whenever I watch an at bat with Whit Merrifield, I just rave and rave, um, about the, the kinds of swings he takes. It looks like he's trying to do all the right things. Um, point has been made the same as as Cuthbert and and even Kendris Morales recent success is that his BABIP is really high um so he's he's probably going to fall off some but I I don't know if he's going to be uh a starter in his career but I think he's got value with his speed and his defense and his approach at the plate that I think he's he's got sticking power at least as a as a utility infielder somewhere or a utility player, period. He could play the outfield, too. He's playing left field tonight. Right. Mindy, you, you've seen him in Omaha. Uh, does he look like the same player, or does he look like a player that's kind of adjusted uh, his swing? Or, you know, he famous, you know a lot of his has been written about the fact he bulked up over the winter, added 20 pounds of muscle to hit for a little bit more power. Uh, and you also wrote about how he kind of took, um, you know, his, his frustrations without making the major leagues and, and kind of channeled that into – uh, having a better season. Do, do you see a different player, or does he seem like the same old wit to you? Um, this spring is a totally different player, I think, from last uh, late last summer. He admitted that, um, you know, the night Alex Gordon got hurt, he was, uh, I mean, he was an MRI result away from the majors. Um, and, of course, it's a horrible position to be in, to be hoping for a bad injury, but that's, you know, whether he'll admit that part or not ever, um, that's where he was. I mean, if, if Gordon was hurt worse than he was, I think Whit may have gone up or, or maybe, I don't, I don't really know exactly, but, but, um, you know, Whit was so close to being called up that night that he was pulled from the game, um, and got hugs, (laughs) which, you know, typically around that time of year, hugs, when you come out of the game, means something's going to happen. Uh, so, um, and then he didn't get called up, and his production fell off a cliff. Um, so, I, you know, he really, like you mentioned, the, the offseason, he used to, to bulk up, and he really wanted to emphasize power this spring. And, and I think he came back with a renewed sense of, of focus and closeness. Like, okay, he was the last cut out of spring training, which he could, could have taken to mean, like, they hate him, and he's never going to make it, and he's always going to be a bridesmaid and never a bride. But... Um, I, I think this time around he took it to mean like I am, you know, I'm better than almost everybody here. I, I can do this. I just have to keep playing my game and, and not um, not let my own head get in the way like it did late last season. Um, and, and when he gets obsessed with one particular facet, he can he can do <laughs> crazy things like the week that he wanted to just steal all the bases in the world. So he stole a dozen bases in one week. Um, 
you know, he hasn't added the home run power that he specifically mentioned wanting to do this spring, but um, I, all around, you know, he's he's decent to good at enough things that he can he can stick, and he's a hard worker, so he, he can probably stick in some capacity as a major leaguer. Well, his, his emergence has really uh, cost us the presence of a, a veteran, Omar Infante, which I know, Josh, you've got to be pretty upset that uh, Omar Infante is gone. Uh, how surprised are you, were you at the fact that they, they just flat out released him with a year and a half left on his deal? Well, for starters, I'm beside myself. <laughs> Pouring out for Omar. Uh, yeah, yeah. Omar, Omar is not coming. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, I, it seemed like the thing they had to do. You know, how long How long did uh, Jose Guillen have left on his deal? Was Maybe he about still, two months it, left. Okay, so they, they owed him, what, four or five mil? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they have way more money now, you know, like they're, they're on pace to draw, you know, just right around 3 million people this year. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm not super surprised. Like he was clearly a sunk cost and with his defense taking a complete nosedive, I just think they couldn't. Like they couldn't compete and still have him on the twenty-five man roster, and you know you can, I, I don't know if they could invent a phantom injury to keep him off the to to open up that spot. I don't know. I, I, I can't say I'm super surprised. Um, you know I wonder how long Whit Merrifield will be good without walking, but he probably he's been in the org long enough that he probably realizes that he can't walk his way onto the Royals roster. So. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be weird. And also, I don't. Does Omar Infante, when he gets voted into the All Star game, does he still wear a Royals jersey? Then how does that exactly work? Just a plain white one. <laughs> yeah, just a blank one. Well, the NHL didn't some guy make the All Star game there that didn't? He was like demoted, and everyone voted for him as a joke. I'd be kind of cool if uh, Royals fans voted Omar Infante and just as a joke, since the All Star game is already a little bit of a farce. Uh, let's talk about the All Star game. Who do you guys expect? Uh, to be there from Kansas City. Uh, obviously, we got Salvador Perez, who's the leading vote getter. Uh, Jeremy, who do you who do you, who, do you, who are you gonna be cheering for at the All Star game next uh, um, in a couple weeks? Well, like you said, Salvador, I think he's he's a lock. I'm I really I thought Hosmer was gonna make it last year when the first voting totals came out. Then obviously he uh, he lost out, but this year he's he's still in first place. So I think he's he's got a good shot of making it. Um, doesn't look good for for Kane, and uh, so after that, I guess you start looking at the the backups, and I think Herrera is having an even better season this year than he had last year, so I think he might actually even get selected um, by the the managers and uh, the other players before Ned even gets a chance to add him to the roster. And uh, Wade Davis might make it. My dad is convinced. He keeps telling me. Uh, that Paulo Orlando, Ned's going to add him to the <laughs> roster somehow. That would not surprise me. <laughs> I, you know, that's that's what I'm looking for. Well, I, do you think Lorenzo, he's not going to make it, he's like 90,000 votes short of the being a starter right now. He also I think, just pulled up lame. Yeah, and I think Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley, they're having a better season. Boston fans are going to vote. But do you think Ned 
is going to, and his numbers are not, they're not terrible at all, but they're not quite what they were last year. Do you think Ned's going to take him anyway? A lot of it, I think, depends on how much freedom Ned gets to make the roster. Because hmm. he's got to have the, the one player per team rule he's got to fill in. And, and like, he's, Kane's not having a bad year, but he's not having the year like he had last year. So he's got to have he's got to have room to be able to make that move, and I'm not 100% convinced he's going to have it. One uh, one name that I saw Craig Brown put out there, he said that uh, um, Ned's going to take Luke Hochaver, uh, which I thought was interesting because Ned values his middle relievers, and uh, he's going to want to reward Luke, who's kind of been his go-to guy in a lot of situations this year. Uh, I don't know, is that Minda? Who do you think is going to end up? Is Luke, is Luke Hoche ever going to be in a All-Star game finally? That sounds like a very, like, Ned Yost. <laughs> the combination of, like, he's such a solid, reliable middle reliever and just the, like, here's a chance to show extreme loyalty to my guy slash hunting buddy, probably. I, I don't know. I assume Ned Yost and Luke Hoche are hunting buddies. Sounds it, it sounds like a very, very Ned Yost thing. Josh, do you do you still care about the All Star Game? Do you do you even watch it anymore? Uh, I had to watch it last year. I can't remember. Oh, I think I had game coverage or something. Um, I if man, your boss sounds like a real jerk. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Tuesdays were one of my days last year, so it made sense. Uh, no, I uh, I probably wouldn't watch it if I didn't have to. Uh, I am going to the Futures Game. Yeah, that's right. That's way more interesting to me than the Futures game is more interesting to me than the All-Star game. Well, I think, it, yeah, I think it probably generates more interest on our site than, than the All-Star game. Although that, a lot of that's because for a long time we only had uh, Mark Redman and uh, Ken, Ken Harvey, Harvey going in there. Yeah. The Futures game had better, better players in it from our team. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope that maybe they put Soria in in the seventh yeah. or an out. Yeah. So uh, well, that, that's a good uh, segue into the last question I have. Uh, Hunter Dozier and uh, Jorge Bonafacio got uh, both got named to the Futures game for the Royals, uh, both having great seasons in Omaha. We have Minda on with us today, so I thought it would be a good chance to talk about some of the guys in Omaha who are, are doing really well. I mean, some the Royals' farm system is kind of thin, but some of the guys in Omaha have really impressed. Uh, we'll start with you, Minda. Like how, first of all, how, how has Hunter Dozier looked to you, and um, uh, who, are, who are some other names that you think are going to be come up and kind of be like you know, Whit Merrifield and Chesler Cuthbert and come in and make an impact for the Royals? Maybe maybe not this year, but maybe next year. Um, Great question. I haven't seen uh, as many home games since Dozier's uh, promotion as I would want to uh, for a variety of reasons. However, um, you know, he's, he's hitting really well. Um, his defense, I've pretty much only seen him, like, get eaten up by a couple of tough tough hops here and there, but like ones plays that I think that normal third baseman would potentially, you know, like a, a grounder takes a tough hop and he just can't quite come up with it. And that's normal and understandable. I haven't seen him do anything, you know, that that uh, makes him look like some kind of butcher at third base. So that's pretty, I guess, encouraging. Small sample size and 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 all of that applies, of course. Um, but, I mean, he's kind of surprising me, honestly, with um, at least the, the average. The on-base percentage isn't so much there right now as of this recording. It's uh, 347. 
um, whereas he was right at 400 um, in his, the month that he played at Northwest Arkansas this, um, this spring. Um, but I guess that is, I don't know. He's still young for his level. It's still a new level. Um, but it's a good league to hit singles in and, and get a nice inflated batting average. So it's just something to keep an eye out on, I guess. Um, as for Bonifacio, he has been surprising, I guess. He was another guy that's just been in the system forever and ever. Um, and I started to feel like he was expendable. You know, his presence on the 40-man roster kept making me feel like, oh, you know, he's still on this roster and yeah, it's still so far off. But he's been... Um, He's been good. His his defense is good. Arm is strong, um, and he is a faster runner than I always think because he's kind of a stockier build. Uh, but but he can run a fair bit too. So um, I don't know. He's he's just been a, a nice surprise, I guess, to see him kind of um, kind of blooming all all facets of his game at AAA. And he, he's only like, what, 22, 23, something like that? Oh, he's a baby. Yeah. And uh, the only thing that would give me pause with him is that, well, first of all, his plate discipline, I think, was a little bit wanting at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's come on a little bit better, I think, recently. So he's maybe showing some improvement there. The other thing is he's got a huge split um, where he's just, I think he's hit almost all of his home runs at Warner Park, which is that is that much of a home run park? Um, it can be. Yeah. In the spring, it's windy all the time. Oh, okay. um, it blows. Uh, the first couple weeks, it usually blows out to right, and then it blows out to left hard and constantly. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities um, for someone, especially like Bonifacio, to make a, you know, put up a lot of those power numbers early. Um, and it may fall off. If, you know, if Warner Park is what's causing his home runs, um, it may fall off as we get into the dog days and, and it's not so windy. Um, but if it, you know, if it's not the park, it could just be the, the fantastic home crowd constantly <laughs> chanting hip, hip, or hey every time he bats. It's, it could be the photographer that, you know, he just wants to impress every night. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, is there... You know, what, is there a minor leaguer that you kind of had your eye on that you think has, has shown some improvement this year or, or that you've liked for a while or, you know, at Omaha or otherwise? Or is, this just, or is this just a farm system that's kind of bereft of talent right now that needs to be restocked? I, I've i never been uh, – uh, even when the Royals are bad, I've never been really very good at, at keeping up on what's going on in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've obviously heard a lot about Bonifacio and Dozier this year because everybody's talking about them because they're, they're making these turnarounds. And I, you know, I just, uh, I'm really excited about Dozier, but, uh, you know, let's, let's see if he can even keep it up for the rest of the year. He had those, was it two horrible years he had, or is it just one and a half? <laughs> yeah, well, he was, yeah, so. one dreadful year. I think one kind of just, okay, just bad year. <laughs> and then, and then. As, uh, as you pointed out, Bonifacio's got the, the plate discipline. He's I'm looking at the stats on the Storm Chasers website right now, and, and he's got far and away the most strikeouts out of anybody on that roster. Josh, so, what's, what's kind of your state? What's your take on the, the farm system? I mean, we, we know it's thin. Is there is there any hope for it at all? Or are they going to have to do some sort of uh, fire sale next year to, to restock everything? Uh, I sure hope not, just for just for our sake as 
fans. Um, I, you know, I think Dozier and Bonifacio, Bonifacio both, uh, I think both of them were players where they, clearly they were not ever going to uh, make a really smooth, smooth ascension through the, through the ranks. Uh, Bonifacio, his, you know, his thing for me at least always seemed okay. Well, he's going to have to hit for power if he's going to have any value because he's not going to bring much, much value defensively. Um, you know, because he was always always pegged as a corner outfielder, and with you know with range being the primary factor for him, you know, having to go to the corner. Um, and you know, early on, and obviously some of this is just because of his age relative to level, but with Bonifacio, it was, if he's not going to hit for power, I just don't see where he's going to have any value because he's not going to hit enough. He's not going to, you know, he's not, he's not a big walk guy. He never has been. So it's not like he's ever going to get on base enough to have the value that you would need to with, with a bat first profile at a corner outfield spot. So the power, like, hopefully this is real. And, you know, Warner Park obviously is playing right now a little friendly towards home runs but it's not like the rest of the pcl doesn't also mm. you know like the entire the entire what whatever the the west division is uh, the entire west division most of that is very very homer friendly you know like i mean what the average the average batting average for the albuquerque isotopes at home is something like 330 <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like it's not like there aren't other very extreme uh, ballparks in the PCL. So I, you know, I wouldn't. I'm not going to worry too much about home road splits right now for anybody or really ever. But uh, you know, for both, especially for Bonifacio, he needed so to have it, power. It wouldn't bother you that Bonifacio is not hitting home runs at those other parks, like you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna get too wrapped up in in how how much Warner Park is like affecting how many home runs he has. I just really care that he's hitting them at all. Yeah. And he is obviously. I was just wondering if the other side of that is is problematic to you. Like he should be hitting them on these other hitter friendly parks um, that they visit, and he's not. I mean, I think we're just dealing with you know small sample size variants. Sure. And he fit in well with the major league team, which doesn't seem to hit well on the road at all either. So, but they're uh, not he, doing anything on the road, apparently. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, maybe he just wants to fit in with the, the big league guys. Uh, yeah. He knows he can't walk his way into the roster. Yeah. And as long as he hits home runs at home, he's, he's fine. Yeah. Well, what stinks is that these guys already play positions that the Royals are kind of set at. What they would really need is someone in Omaha who is just pitching lights out. Uh, what we hoped would be is that Kyle Zimmer would be that guy, but. <laughs> He's still MIA. Minda, have you any heard... day now? Any day now, he's going to be on the major league roster. Yeah, Minda, have you heard anything about like what's going on with him? Like, I know he hasn't been. I don't even know he's been in Omaha much no. this year. Um, I know he's in Wilmington for a little bit. Um, a little bit. I mean, he pitched like three games total all year, and um, and he was shut down for a little while earlier in the year, and he came back, and then immediately. Um, shut down again, and now he's officially on the disabled list. So uh, I don't know. And it's I, like a I vague, think... it's like a vague fatigue, which I don't even know. Like he's tired. Like I, what does that mean exactly? I think he's on the DL with malaise. <laughs> <laughs> on we? 
the weight of expectations is just weighing him down so much that he can't move his arm. <laughs> it's Atlas syndrome. The entire the entire world yeah. is on his shoulders. Yeah, exactly. It's so frustrating though because I mean, it, you know, we've seen him pitch and like when he's healthy for those like brief blinks of an eye in time, he's so good. He's like five pitches and it's just so frustrating for so much talent to just never ever see the light of day and we don't know why. I mean, he's had shoulder problems, he has he's had elbow problems and he's had a lot of vague undefined like it's not something concrete always like you know his whatever is torn it's it's like fatigue which i'm not doubting its validity but it's it's more frustrating i think to hear that he shut down again with something vague um you know when when there's so much good if he could just not have fatigue Has, has anyone considered asking chris young to google the symptoms for him that, yeah, they, 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 he needs to look up WebMD and see what's going on. One, one theory that has made it the rounds and the comments of our website is that perhaps this is psychological and that since he is, you know, he was new to pitching when he um, went to college at University of San Francisco. And so maybe he doesn't know how you're supposed to feel after you, you know, after pitching. Because, you know, pitching is not a natural motion. It's, it's, it's rough on the arm. Um, and that perhaps he just doesn't know that he needs to pitch through a little bit of pain. I don't know how much I buy. I'm always skeptical to get between the ears of these athletes. Is it something that you guys give any weight to at all, or do we just not know what's going on with this guy? It's intriguing to me, um, but I'm, I'm not sure. I put that exact question, though. I had the opportunity to talk to Keith Law this week, and I put that question to him because I've seen it, you know, in our uh, from our commenters and everything. Um, but he didn't he didn't seem to give it too much credence. Um, but it, you know, it's hard to. I mean, the only person who can know that paradoxically is Kyle Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we'll just have to kind of sit and wait and hope he hope he figures it out uh, because the Royals need some starting pitching badly. Uh, Anyway, well, uh, I want to thank you guys all for coming on the show today, and, and um, you know we'll have to talk again pretty soon. Uh, I guess we'll let's find out, Minda. Where can we find you on Twitter? I am at Minda33. And you can also follow her. She has uh, she gives uh, does our minor league wrap up every Tuesday morning, which gives you all the greatest um, minor league news. Josh, you are at Old Man Dugan. Is that right? Yep. Dugan D U G G A N. And yep. Uh, of course, he does our great game threads, and as well as our, our series previews and. Jeremy, where can we find you on Twitter? Um, at Hokias, H-O-K-I-U-S. Hokias. See, I've always been pronouncing Hokia, so I'm glad yeah, you finally let us know. I was wrong on that. It's, it's finally good to talk to you and then figure out how to say correctly say your handle. So, What's uh, the origin of that name? Uh, it's a long, complicated story. Uh, we've got time. <laughs> That's what podcasts are for. <laughs> okay, so... Um, when I was a kid, I was playing these Star Wars games, um, like X-Wing flight simulator stuff, and I knew... What's that? I had that one. Sorry, go on. It's awesome. Um, I knew pilots had to have call signs, so I was, I was trying to come up with this call sign, like, what was, what was my call sign going to be? And eventually I came up with Hawkeye, and I thought that was the, the coolest call sign ever, that I had completely invented that, and no one had ever used that before. (laughs) 
Um, so I used that for a long time, and um, eventually I was, I was playing a different video game uh, later on, I guess when I was a teenager, um, called Zeus, which was like this uh, city-building game set in ancient Greece. And you were supposed to name the leader of the Greek colony. And I was like, well, I can't call him Hawkeye because that's not very Greek. So <laughs> I, I Greekified my call sign and it became Hawkeyes. Like and that's that it's that actually I think has ended up being unique. I haven't seen anyone else use that one, so I've hung on to it and just used it everywhere. I'm not sure you will find that anywhere else. <laughs> so, yeah, the things we find out about our users here on Royals Review Radio. But uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, th you're the newest writer here, so we thank you for coming on, and we'll have to have you back again sometime. Oh, this is fun. Thanks for having me. segment we have uh, we have a very special guest uh, he runs a, a, a great podcast that you should listen to when you're not listening to this one uh, over at clubhouseconversation.com uh, there you can find uh, several podcasts with uh, you know all the latest Royals news as well as some great interviews with uh, Royals players both past and present uh, he is Davo from Clubhouse Conversation Dave thanks for joining us today yeah thanks for having me man it's uh, you know I'm a big fan of, of your work and what you guys are doing over there at Royals Review, so it's, it's always a pleasure to talk Royals baseball and be on with you. Cool. Yeah, well, th thanks again for uh, the kind words. And, uh, yeah, if, 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 you're, if you're a big Royals fan, you should definitely check out his site. And um, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about your podcast in just a minute. But first I want to get your take a little bit on the, on the current Royals and, and how they're doing. And, and uh, you know, it's been kind of a, an up-and-down season this year so far for the Royals. We've, we've seen some hot streaks, and we see some really cold streaks so far. And I think a lot of that has to do with their – their play uh, differing on, on the on the road as from uh, their play at home. Do you, you know, it's been such a Jekyll and Hyde team that you wouldn't expect from such a season, you know, championship team. Do you have any theories on why this team looks so great at home one week and then the next week looks like, you know, one of the worst teams in baseball when they go on the road? You know, I really don't. And I think, uh, you know, the up and down is a great description that you just said, Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, they're bipolar. If, if, if this team was getting prescribed medication, they'd be getting Zoloft. I mean, they're up and down. It's like, you know, win seven in a row, lose seven in a row, win eight of ten, you know, lose eight of ten. Uh, you know, obviously Dayton Moore and staff have tailored this ball club uh, and this organization to, to play a certain way. And, of course, that way is largely – uh, built for the from the confines of, of Coffin Stadium. You've got a number of, of flyball pitchers on there, obviously, from your Ian Kennedys to your Chris Youngs and Chris Medlin when he's healthy, which appears he is, knock on wood, after a nice outing in Omaha a couple of days ago. Uh, so, you know, I, I think some of it is just as simple as this team's built more for this ballpark. But you know what? I don't know. I don't know that that really is that big of a, of a difference. I, I, I just – I don't know. I, I've heard some theories that, you know, the Royals get in these small bandbox parks like your Camden Yards or – or what have you, some of the different ones that they've played in, and they start swinging for the fences, and they change their approach on the road. I don't know if I buy that completely, but I think there's probably some merit to that. I also think there's probably some merit to the fact that the good juju is especially there at Kauffman Stadium, going back to that wild card game and the big improbable comeback there, and going to the you know the the game the game against Toronto at home when they came back against David Price with that improbable inning and the. Gordon home run against Familia and on and on and on. This team has been very good at home with quite the magic for quite some time. 
with that said, though, you know, you go back to game four in Houston. So they, they've had big wins on the road. They won the freaking World Series uh, in an opposing ballpark. So I don't know that that, you know, I don't know if there's any psychological or, you know, good juju. I don't That's probably some of it, I guess. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, it probably just comes down to the fact that they're built for this park and also the fact that they're not quite as good at, at home as they've been playing and not quite as bad as they've been playing on the road. And as we know, the law of averages will eventually, hopefully, at least for the road's sake, you know, get back to where it should be. Yeah, I wonder sometimes, too, like, if these sometimes become self-fulfilling prophecies, like, it gets in their head that, you know, hey, we're, we're a great home team, but we can't we can't win on the road. And so they kind of accept that as that's just the way they are and, you know, has an impact on their play. I don't know if it, you know, I guess it depends how much you believe in, in clubhouse chemistry and in intangibles and stuff like that. But hopefully won't, they won't let it get to their heads too much and, and they can kind of snap out of their funk on the road. Uh, you talked about the starting pitching a little bit and how it's really struggled on the road and and yeah you know they've had a lot of issues i think right now they're fourth they have the fourth worst era among um american league starting pitching staffs uh do you see the starting pitching staff turning it around like is there help on the way or do you think do you think they're going to have to look outside the organization to address their their woes in the starting rotation i think for the short term there's no doubt they're going to have to look outside the organization if they want to truly address the starting rotation and there's several underlying questions and factors with that you know the factors being of course you begin with internally there aren't maybe quite as many options as you were hoping due to injury a large part of that you know you've got chris medlin you've lost the majority of this year with him when he comes back how effective will he be how long will he hold up well you know will he be on strict pitch limits you know, so on and so forth. You've got Mike Miner, a guy that you probably, at the start of the year, I was counting on him back around July 15th, July 30th, which is still an outside shot, but it sounds more and more to me like Mike Miner could be ticketed for the bullpen this year with how things are sounding with the shoulder, you know, soreness after a certain amount of pitches, after a few innings, and the Royals taking it real slow, and they've discussed publicly that it could be a bullpen type thing with him. So you were hoping maybe he'd be the reinforcement and kind of that quote-unquote uh, phantom trade deal, you know, he was, obviously wouldn't have come over in a trade, but kind of like the same effect where he came in at that point of the year and was kind of that guy. I don't know if that will happen. Of course, Kyle Zimmer, uh, a guy that we all know that story, that uh, at least for this year as a starting pitcher, that that ship has completely sailed, and there's a decent chance long-term he could be a, another guy that gets shifted to the bullpen when he comes back, hopefully at some point later this year. Um, but, I mean, you go up and down there, and, I mean, thank goodness, Max, thank goodness for Danny Duffy. I don't yeah. think – I mean, I know I was on the record as saying he'd never start again. I mean, it's a guy the last couple of years, it's not well known, but he preferred to be a relief pitcher. He'd gone to Denton and said, I prefer it that way. I like being, you know, coming to the park and having a chance to pitch two out of three days. And, uh, you know, I'll do whatever's best for the team. He's not, you know, it doesn't, not saying he didn't want to start, but he definitely told Ned he preferred being a reliever. So, you know, it's, it's not something I saw happening at this point. We'd, we'd seen over and over how many different times have we seen him shuffled back and forth and he struggled to go four innings and throw 85, 90 pitches and walk five and strike out six. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you just figured he was the next Jeremy Afton, kind of, I don't want to say a failed starter. That's not really fair. But, you know, somebody that was better suited to be in the bullpen. You thought maybe that was coming, especially when, you know, the Royals bullpen early on, you saw Joaquin Soria struggling. So you probably figured Danny Duffy might be needed as that sixth or seventh inning guy. But as things have turned out, Soria has settled down, as has the rest of the pen. Uh, there's been injuries, you know, between Chris Young and Chris Medlin that propelled Duffy up. And he's become to me almost the most reliable starter the guy I'm most confident with getting the ball every five days so thank god for him i mean they'd be in complete shambles without him but you know I, the main factor is injury 
the Royals have some really nice arms, I believe, that aren't going to get the, the top 100 attention on prospect lists. And a number of them aren't even in the top 20 in the Royals' own prospect list when you go across uh, the different scouting services. But there's some nice arms coming, but no, I don't see anything this year. Even guys like Miguel Almonte that you thought might have an outside chance, I, I thought he was a long ways away from limited times we seen him up here and he obviously he's been shut down and had a rough year when he has been pitching so you just go on and on it's mainly the injury and effectiveness that have you know forced the royals those are the factors and i think that yes you're gonna have to go outside the organization and a guy uh you know that i hear whispered is dan straley as a guy that the royals you know i'm not sure how how much cincinnati really wants to get rid of him just because of the fact that he's so controllable this guy seems like he's been around forever i'm looking yeah. you know through the numbers right now and he's only like a year and a half of service time and a guy that you know, got hit pretty hard, I believe it was uh, tonight, by the Cubs. But, you know, the Great American Small Park, it's not a great place for, for pitchers. And he's a guy, obviously, that has been very up and down. Uh, the, the price wouldn't be, obviously, what it would cost to get a Rich Hill or some of these other guys that you keep hearing about. So I think it's a guy that if Cincinnati deals him, and I think there's a decent chance that they will just because they have a number of other uh, guys they want to get innings, you know, half of them being from the, from the Johnny Cueto trade, three of them on their own right there. I think there's a decent chance he does become available, and I think that's kind of the guy that – the Royals would look at and and a kind of guy that could uh, see his game take a step forward at compensating him with, with his defense too. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I think, uh, like you mentioned, he's he's under club control for several years, and he was he had a pretty good year a couple years ago with Oakland, but since then he's really bounced around the league. He's had a lot of problems uh, throwing strikes, but he does uh, strike out a lot of hitters, at least a fair amount for a starter, and it seems like he um, relies on his defense a lot. So you think maybe a transition to Kansas City away from Cincinnati small ballpark. Like you say, that would be a, an interesting transition. I think the Royals, yeah, they'll need to they'll need to target guys like that who are maybe a little undervalued in other markets because of their ballpark situation or their their, their team. And if they come to Kansas City, they can really improve their numbers. Uh, kind of kind of what they were banking with uh, with Ian Kennedy and and uh, guys like that and Chris Young, you know, until until this year. Um, I think, too, it's not even so much that, you know, the, the undervalued thing for sure, the, the the service time for sure. But the other thing is that, you know, as you and I both know, they just – and we mentioned the Johnny Cueto trade. They just don't have the parts to really go out and do much better, quote-unquote, than Dan right. Straley type. I think, the, I think the arm they're going to get, they're going to get a, a starting pitcher, I believe, and I believe they'll get a bullpen guy too. But I think I think the starting pitcher they're going to get is going to be about like Dan Straley. I mean, it's just the Royals don't – Unless they want to get rid of Raul Mondesi, which they don't, uh, you go down the list. Ryan O'Hearn, you don't want to get rid of him. There's just certain guys you just you – know, there's, there's not a lot of really impact guys that are knocking on the door for the major leagues. And the Royals kind of win. You know, I, I think had the Royals not won the whole thing last year and not made back-to-back World Series, you know, had they maybe you know made the playoffs one of the last two years. And, yeah, then maybe you'd go all in and you trade Raul Mondesi and, and try to get, you know – a bigger name guy than that, but I just think it's, it's, there's a number of factors. I think Dave Island would be good with him. Uh, you know, there's nearly a strikeout per inning this year coming into tonight's game. Uh, well, that's not true, 72 and 84, but not too bad there. The strikeout numbers aren't horrible there. It's a guy uh, that they could you know do well here. But yeah, I, I just think a lot of it's just because of the fact that the Royals don't have a lot of flexibility when it comes to dealing prospects. Nor should they at this point, because I mean, who knows? If Cleveland keeps this up, you know, we could be playing for a wild card. You, you certainly don't want to salvage your future for a wild card. Yeah, that's a good point. I, yeah, the, the system is pretty depleted at this point. I think if you're looking at what kind of haul the Royals are going to get at the trade trade deadline, yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be – you have to lower your expectations from the Johnny Cueto, Ben Zobris tier and look at the kind of maybe a lower tier of, of uh, guys that are available. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors uh, from like Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe and – 
uh, John Heyman of guy of, of linking the Royals to hitters instead of pitchers. Right. Some of the names have been like John Jay of the Padres, who's having a nice year. Melvin Upton with the Padres, and then uh, an interesting name that came over uh, came up last weekend was uh, Oakland's Danny Valencia, who of course played here in 2014. Do you put much stock in these rumors? Do you think they're actually looking for no. a bat to add, add to the lineup as well? No, I for two reasons, starting with the Valencia. I mean, number one, I mean, this is a guy that was getting that was you know gotten rid of because of his attitude, and a number of teams have you know just you know not really a team first guy, you know, a good guy. I nobody disliked him. He was well liked within the clubhouse. A number of teammates really enjoyed Danny Valencia, but a, a guy that was largely gotten rid of here because of of the character and because of who he is. So that's number one. Number two, you know, Chesler Cuthbert, obviously much better defensively than Danny Valencia. And, and as we've all known, Valencia matches lefties. And well, this year he's starting to really, and even last year, starting to pick it up against right-handers as well. But I, I don't see, you know, I do think if the, if the Royals get a bat, it's going to be a utility type infielder because you've got Merrifield as your everyday second baseman. Now you've got Eski and, and Cuthbert, you know, a week ago you and I had a conversation and, and, you know, I brought up the fact that that would be the one spot that makes sense on the field would be third base. But the more Chesler Cuthbert keeps hitting home runs and hitting gaps and making spectacular defensive plays. And I just, I don't see that. It just doesn't make any sense. Now what does make sense is, you know, getting a utility infielder, somebody because Christian Colon is not a utility infielder. Christian Colon is below average at shortstop, way below average at third base, and just average defensively at second base. And if you're going to play Merrifield every day at second, which you are, because his bat obviously is going to be there the remainder of the season at the top of the order, and you, you don't got a spot for him in the outfield, obviously. So he's your second base, and you, you need a, a good utility backup infielder, a veteran guy. I, I see that happening, yes, but I don't think it'll be Valencia, and, and sure as hell it's not going to be. John Jay, barring injury, you know, if, you know, something happens in front of the outfielders, then all bets are off. But, I mean, you've got Brett Eibner and Raymond Fuentes down in Omaha who are ready to jump up for Paulo Orlando, who'd be leading the league in hitting if he had nothing bats. And, you know, you've got Dyson there. Don't forget about him as a guy that you can use in, in a short term and as a, as a bench guy. So, yeah, no, the, the outfield rumors make absolutely no sense. That would be, like, the last thing in the world. The only thing the Royals need less than that is a backup catcher because they've got a great backup catcher. I mean, that's... Outside of that, though, like that would be like the second, you know, least thing the Royals need. They're, they don't need any more outfielders. Yeah, go, talking about Valencia, I mean, I, it's pretty telling that the Toronto Blue Jays last year in the middle of a pennant race, they flat out released him, even right. though he had an OPS north of 800. Pretty good season last year, and they just flat out released him because, well, I mean, there was whispers again, like you said, that they just kind of rubbed people the wrong way. So, yeah, he's a guy that didn't seem to kind of fit into their team philosophy, not only, you know, with clubhouse stuff, but also, you know, he was not very, not very good defensively and... And uh, and doesn't you know kind of do the things that they they like you know the little things that they like to see on the field so I uh, yeah I, I I agree with you I don't think that's that's probably there's probably a lot of smoke there um, you talked about Chesler Cuthbert a little bit um, he's a guy that's really come out of nowhere you know he wasn't like exactly a high prospect at least not last year I mean there was a time when he was he got a million dollar bonus out of Nicaragua um, but he's really come on this year and made a name for himself his numbers are really impressive. Um, what's, you know, he's been a much better defender, I think, than a lot of people thought. What's the future for Chesler Cuthbert? And if he is the real deal, how do you see the third base situation playing out the next couple of years with him, Moustakas, and even Hunter Dozier coming up through the minors? Well, that's a good problem to have. The Royals obviously would have a, a surplus of third baseman if, in fact, uh, Cuthbert is the real deal. And you have to think he is. I mean, Chesler Cuthbert's still so young. He's only just barely turned 23. It's hard to believe that he's only 23 years old. We've been hearing his name uh, for so long. But, I mean, you look at the numbers offensively. I mean, wow, you're already sitting at seven home runs. 
so far in Kansas City and just 157 at-bats for him. I believe he's already shattered his career high when you combine Omaha and Kansas City. And I, it's, I mean, I guess it's not that surprising. Like I said, he's only 23, so it's a guy that you expected to perhaps hit for some more power. And obviously he's going to have to hit uh, for double-digit home run power if he's going to play a, a corner position every day in the major leagues, especially in the American League. But, I, I, you know, it's a guy that you, know, you mentioned – the hard work and the development, it's not even so much the power that impresses me. It's, it's the fact that, you know, go back two years ago and I watched him a couple of different series playing at double A for Northwest Arkansas. I saw him a, a little bit at second base as well, but the, the defense was awful. I mean, there was no way, other way around it. When he came up last year to KC, I hadn't seen him last year when he came up. And I remember telling people, I'm like, well, this kid better hit because he's brutal defensively. And then all of a sudden I see him out there, you know, turning into a gold glover and, you know, similar range to Moustakis, and, and the arm is not far behind either. I mean, he's really, the way he's been playing, you know, sample size is, is acknowledged, but the way he's been playing, you don't lose much of anything defensively at third base, and he's obviously controllable for a number of years and cheap and, and young. So going forward, you know, I, I think obviously the rest of this year, the Royals are going to sink or swim with him over at third base, barring injury or barring a, a major slump. And, and, and going forward, yeah, you mentioned Hunter Dozier as well because he's a guy that's that's having a really nice year. You know, outside of you – know, you look at the minor leagues and the three guys that kind of stick out offensively who have had pleasant surprise-type years are Ryan O'Hearn, Jorge Bonifacio, and, and Hunter Dozier, who's kind of shot up uh, the ladder and continues to be very consistent. And I know he's got, you know, major road versus home splits at AAA, but that's a guy I definitely have not given up on either, and a guy that they're putting in the outfield is playing some outfield, as is Ryan O'Hearn. So the Royals definitely have a lot of different possibilities. I believe that there's almost no doubt Moustakis is back next year, no matter what. And I don't know what that means for Cuthbert and Dozier. I mean, it's a, a nice problem to have that the Royals need to go out and try to make a move for a, a higher-end, controllable starting pitcher. Maybe those are one of the pieces you can offer to deal down the road. Yeah, you mentioned his defense, and that's probably been the most impressive thing to me as well. Like, I mean, he's he seemed he seemed a lot thicker in kind of previous video and pictures that I've seen of him, and um, now when he's up at Kansas City, he looks like a very athletic, trim guy. And I I have to wonder like how much you know working out and, and kind of getting into baseball shape has has really done for him. Another guy that's kind of worked his way in the weight room into the major league level is Whit Merrifield, who's uh, really come out of nowhere. I mean, he's been a guy that I think has been on the radar screen for some of the diehard fans, but you know he's a 27 year old. Utility infielder who's been in AAA for a while, um, you know, maybe you think his time has passed, but he's come up and made the most of his opportunity, hitting over 320 at the major league level. Do you think this keeps up? And and if and what do we have exactly? And what what Merrifield, in your opinion? You know what? I, I hear all these different comparisons. I, I've heard the Ben Zobrist comparison. I've heard the Michael Young comparison. I've heard the Mike Avilas comparison. And I think it's somewhere in between Mike Avilas and, and Ben Zobrist. Not having, obviously, the power upside anywhere close to that that Ben Zobrist has and ha, you know, had and has. And certainly, I think, a higher upside than a guy like Mike Avilas. A, a different kind of player. I mean, they're similar in that they both did, you know, literally probably could have been called up a year, year and a half sooner and were overlooked several times. I mean, in the case of Merrifield, wasn't even on the 40-man roster. Isn't it shocking? Anybody could have picked him up in the Rule 5 draft and just had him on the roster. You see guys like Joey Ricard for, for Baltimore that are out there playing every day that are similar type players, I guess, in, in that regard. Although he was a Rule 5 pick. He was taking it, taken in the Rule 5 draft. But, I mean, you look at Whit Merrifield. Anybody could have had this guy. It's just, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the diehard fans who have known about him. I've been clamoring for this kid for about two years now. I uh, spoke with him a couple of years ago for the first time. Got to know him pretty well in person down in Northwest Arkansas uh, during a couple of trips down there. He's a, he's a great kid. He's a gamer. I mean, you 
just talking to people, his teammates love him. He's a guy that just plays over his head when you look at the quote unquote tools. You know, he's one of those one of those guys that's just so hard to figure out. As are many of these guys in the Royals and the Royals' success. You just wonder because statistically, some of it doesn't add up, and your eyes don't even tell you that some of it should be happening, but it does. But I mean, it's a guy that going forward, I see is you know in between a Mike Avila, it's a higher ceiling, a different kind of player than Avila. He's not going to had the Zobrist career. Now, he's better defensively than Zobrist. He's not a switch hitter, obviously, but I do think you put anywhere on the field, I believe he's better than Zobrist. He can run better at this point. The power is not going to be there like a Zobrist, but I think that's a, a fair comparison in a way, but, you know, going forward, if, if Witt's going to be the most viable player that he can be, then that's probably going to be the everyday second baseman, because if he's playing every day at second base, it most likely means that he's really doing his job, and, and not you're not moving him around. That's obviously his most comfortable position out there on the field, and I think the upside is even more than we've seen as far as style of hitting. He's only walked five times in 148, 49 plate appearances after tonight. So he's a guy that's going to draw more walks. I believe he'll run a little bit more with time. But now you're starting to see the league adjust to him as well. You're starting to see more breaking stuff low and away, fastball up and away. So he's going to have to adjust back now. He He's proven now he can hit the fastball and, and the basic pitches. And, you know, guys just quote-unquote attacking him. That's not working. So now pitchers are adjusting. He'll have to do the same thing, and I think he will. Yeah, you're right. This is a league about adjustments, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have this, there's going to be a book on him now, and I think he's going to have to figure that out. But uh, you know, the the tools that I've seen they're pretty impressive so far, and uh, you know, I think it, sp- it speaks volumes that the Royals felt so confident in him that they were able to release Omar Infante uh, and kind of kind of throw Whit Merrifield out there without a you know a, a safety net. Uh, were you were you surprised at all by that uh, that transaction? I was very surprised by that transaction, the, the timing of it, absolutely. And, and there was a number of guys out there who called that, and you know that's impressive. I, I didn't, I didn't see that happening right now. I really didn't. Now, I thought the Royals would find a way to keep Infante around. I knew he wouldn't be back next year, I th- but I thought they'd find a way to sneak him into the off season, whether it be a phantom DL stint for six or eight weeks to get into August or September when they can expand the rosters or or what have you. But the problem was he just got so bad. It was just. I mean, even last year, you could at least semi-justify sticking him out there because he worked so well with Escobar, and, and he was still able to make the routine play. But it got to the point this year, he couldn't even make a routine play anymore. I mean, is if he finally cleaned up the elbow with, with the bone chips and all that, and you can, we'll always probably kind of wonder why it took so long and if that would have made a difference. You know, I'm sure there's stuff we don't know about. Maybe it would have been a, a bigger risk. Maybe cleaning it up ended up hurting him. You know, you, you never know. Maybe there, there's probably some reason he didn't just have the surgery. Everyone criticized him and were very critical, and it was definitely questionable, but you never know the complete full story. At least I don't know it. I've never heard anything about that. But, I mean, it's something with – you know, yeah, I'm a bit surprised they got rid of him. And one one thing about Omar, obviously his legacy here will be as a bust if you look at him on the field from a statistical standpoint. But I, I don't I don't think you can say that fairly though either. I think you have to look at it big picture. A lot, a lot of times you hear James Shields get the credit for helping to turn Danny Duffy around and kind of establish uh, this mentality that we're winners now, we're going to pitch inside, we're going to take the ball, we're going to be ballers out there basically. And Shields gets a lot of credit, rightfully so. But uh, a guy that Omar Infante really, really helped develop and step up his game was Alcides Escobar. But, you know, off the field, uh, preparing for games, he really helped Escobar become a man. So, uh, you know, he's not going to get the credit for that because most people don't know about that because Omar was very soft-spoken. And, you know, obviously, you know, they're, they're not quite the characters that some of these guys like a Shield or a Duffy are wearing bear suits and, you know, doing that kind of stuff with the, with the great nicknames. But, you know, that deep down, I, I'm glad Omar was a Royal. And, you know, while he was here, the Royals made two World Series and won one. So, you, I mean, you can't completely call it a bust. And certainly his uh, his effect with guys like Omar, or, or sorry, with you, with Alcides Escobar, uh, are, are very big. 
and he played really well in the 2014 World Series. Uh, I remember, I still remember that home run. I think it was Game Two. Mm-hmm. It's the Giants, yeah, and he had a big double in Game Six. So, uh, yeah, at least. There, uh... Oh, sorry. I was gonna say there was there was the only thing I do remember about that World Series. There was a, a, a play he didn't make in Game Seven that cost Jeremy Guthrie one or two runs, and perhaps would have changed the entire. You know, that the panic play on defense was a big mm-hmm. one for the Giants, and there was a play Omar didn't make that a lot of second basemen make. But yeah, overall, you had the home run and. You mentioned it, man. I mean, he was he was good in that World Series, and in that first year, he wasn't god awful. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know people like to sensationalize it as he's the worst guy in the history, and I, and I know the numbers do say he was the worst everyday player, you know, in baseball. So I, I get all that stuff, but I mean, let's not act like the guy. I mean, let's not act like he was that that bad that he killed him or anything. Yeah, and I certainly don't blame Dayton Moore for picking him up either. I mean, he was a three fifteen hitter with Detroit the year before they got him. Seemed like a really solid player. wasn't particularly old at that point it's just he just kind of fell off a cliff right after that yeah i think you're right injuries probably took a major toll with him as they do with you know a lot of second basemen who just don't age particularly well so um you know i'll I'll have mixed feelings about omar infante i think i'll always remember that 2014 world series but i you know they needed to move on from him and i'm glad to see they were able to do that Uh, you know another guy that a lot of royals fans wanted to see released uh about a month ago was kendris morales now in the last couple weeks though He's really come around and is really smoking the ball, hitting the ball hard. A couple home runs over the weekend against Houston. Uh, is he is he in your mind fixed? Yeah, yeah. I I never thought. I mean, I never thought he was that broken. I mean, you hear all the time. You hear excuses being made for players from the hometown announcers and and you know like oh he smoked that ball. He keeps hitting hard and has horrible luck. And, and the majority of those cases, it's not true. It's just baseball. I mean, nobody remembers the crack bat bloops they have and. And some of the you know bouncing balls, seeing eye singles. So I almost believe a good majority of that type of stuff does even out. And Kendrick's in Kendrick's case, though, man, it didn't. I mean, I can remember off the top of my head right now six or seven balls here at the K that just died at the warning track or right against the fence that he hit. Like that he smoked. Like they weren't. I mean, it was just balls that even if he hits them now it would have been home runs because a lot of those were in April when he was you know in early May when he was really struggling and I think some of that got him out of whack I think he had some really bad luck early I think then he did get into a bad slump and certainly the hand uh, was some of that there was some stuff going on there and resting him turned out to be a, a you know a big turning point for him giving him what five days off I think it was but you know that's a guy that the Royals have to sink or swim with this year and it's it's a guy and I've heard some people say well you know if if they lose 10 of 12 and, and get out of it, they got to trade everyone and trade Hosmer and Davis and, you know, Moose. It's not going to happen. The, the core guys and Kane, those guys aren't going anywhere. Those guys are back no matter what next year. There's nobody on this roster from the core that will be traded. The Royals could lose 20 games in a row, and none of those guys would get traded. However, the one guy, the type of guy that would get traded would be a Kendrys or an Edson or some of those guys. So, you know, I knew no matter what a couple of weeks ago you were going to sink or swim with him through mid-July no matter what because you just don't have that many other options. Then There are some guys like we mentioned, Ryan O'Hearn, Hunter Dozier. Those guys aren't quite ready for the big leagues yet. And, you know, Eibner, maybe, you know, get his bat back up here. But, I mean, there aren't that many options right now at DH. Certainly that'll be a pretty a pretty easy fix this winter. And I, I don't think there's any possible way that Kendrys is back here next year. I don't, I don't think that'll happen. But I think, you know, I do think he's fixed. And he's not going to put the numbers he had last year even close. But I do think we'll see him continue to hit the ball well. And I really, honest to God, deep down, one of the few guys I'll ever admit has had bad luck over a long, long stretch. And I don't think that it'll ever probably even out this year for him. Yeah, I think the numbers support what you say about him having bad luck. And another thing is I think he's been really affected by the, the radical defensive shifts uh, that he's kind of faced. So, you know, maybe if he's kind of adjusting and, and working around that a little bit like Moose did, spraying the ball over the field a little bit better or just hitting over the shift, that'll, that'll help him a lot too. 
Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your podcast. Um, like I said, it's it's a really great uh, listen for anyone that's like a diehard Royals fan. And, uh, you know, you mentioned how you had Whit Merrifield on your show a couple years ago. Uh, so it's a really good resource to kind of learn about these under-the-radar prospects that are out in the minor leagues right now. You know, the, these guys that come out of nowhere, like Brett Eibner, they're not really coming out coming out of nowhere for a guy like you who actually talks to a lot of these guys as they're coming up. Uh, you've talked to a lot of these minor leaguers. Who are some names that you think uh, kind of have a future of being the next Brett Eibner, the next Whit Merrifield that can come up to Kansas City and surprise us? Well, you've already mentioned, or we've already mentioned a couple of them, Hunter Dozier and Ryan O'Hearn have had both of those guys on the last month. And, and there's a number of guys that are starting to, to really kind of rise up that are, I mentioned some of the under-heralded guys earlier. So a guy that jumps off right away who's been rehabbing uh, the last couple of years is Glenn Sparkman. He was a guy that was a, a low-round pick, 20th round of 2013. But you look at his numbers, career-wise, 1.82 ERA, 185 Ks and 177 innings. He was Carolina League. Uh, you know, pitcher of the year for Wilmington back in, in 2014, uh, the best in that entire league. So that, that's a guy that's coming back from Tommy John, I believe, just through his first inning a day or two ago. So he's, he's in the AZL. So he's a guy that could be on the radar as soon as next year uh, or the year after for sure for a spot. And, you know, let's go down the line here. I'll just go through some of these guys I've been talking to recently because a number of these guys. I've, I've really tried to focus the last month or two on guys that I think are, are the kind of the under-the-radar guys that are going to be up here at some point. Corey Tubes is starting to get some attention. Um, a guy that was a Pioneer League All-Star like his college teammate Ryan O'Hearn right out of Sam Houston State back in 2014. He led the entire league in on-base percentage. Nobody talks about that back in 2014. Last year led the league, uh, the Sally League, and runs scored. Was top 10 in batting average. Yeah, that batting average. I just, I just went there, the dreaded batting average number. Uh, stole 31 bags. You look at him. And then you've got a number of, of nice arms in Omaha. You've got Brooks Pounders down there, a guy who's throwing a minor league no-hitter. Uh, Jonathan Jacek, a lefty that I like a lot, that was uh, the double-A pitcher of the year for Northwest Arkansas last year, a Texas League All-Star. Uh, Mauricio Ramos is slowly having, an, you know, quietly having a nice year, a guy you don't hear a lot about. There's, you know, just go on and on. Kevin McCarthy, Brandon Downs, you know, the Escalera. There's just Luke Farrell. I mean, there's just a lot of guys. That's what I'm telling you. I, there aren't a lot of high-end guys to make a trade to go get a, a hill unless you want to give up three guys like Ryan O'Hearn and, and uh, some of the guys I just mentioned, the tubes and, and an arm, you don't want to do that, obviously, because then you really deplete your, your system. But I mean, so but there's so there's not those top 100 players necessarily. O'Hearn obviously could potentially maybe have an outside chance at entering that if he continues the, the tour pace in the second half. There's just so many guys that I, I love this minor league system, Max. There's so many guys down there that I just think are going to be solid big leaguers. They're guys just like with, with Merrifield. They're just like him. They're guys that go under the radar. Nobody talks about because the tools aren't spectacular. The numbers aren't spectacular. They're not high-round picks. You know, you, The Royals, they, they really have a keen eye for this. And, I, and there's a lot of guys I'm legit excited about a number of these guys. It, what's really interesting about your podcast, too, is you, you kind of get, you know, it's not just kind of the standard, uh, you know, sports talk radio interview. I think you get kind of a little flavor of what minor league life is, is like and what it's like to kind of work your way up, uh, up through the system. Uh, is there like a, I guess like an anecdote or like a guy that, maybe has like more of a personality. You know, this is a clubhouse that has a lot of personalities. There's a guy maybe that has a personality that you think would fit into this clubhouse really well. Oh, I can tell you the, the guy right away that you mentioned personality and big personality and a goofball and a guy that the teammates love. That's Brooks Pounders. I mentioned him a second ago. I can't tell you. Uh, the first time I spoke with him was actually this year. I've been here hearing about him. He's, he's had some injury bad luck as well. I've been hearing about him for a couple of years now. Um, he came over in that, obviously that real, uh, famed Yamaiko Navarro trade from Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, everyone talks about to this day that. <laughs> a day that lives in infamy. 
<laughs> but uh, no, but but Pounders, a guy that as far as two years ago, people would, would say, oh, you got to get Brooks Pounders, and th- these guys light up when you mention him. So yeah, that's the very first name that comes up when you mention personality. But I mean, it's just it's just character. Dayton Moore is all about character. JJ Pacula is all about character. Scott Sharp, Renee Francisco, on and on and on. Even the guys that were picked this year, I talked to quite a few of them. I talked to five of the first uh, nine picks the Royals had. Travis Eckert, funny as hell. Seventh-round pick out of uh, Oregon State. Walker Schuller, a Jacksonville kid. Same thing. Very funny. And a nice little uh, connection there with Junior Vizcaino, who's, who's down there in that league as well, whose dad obviously worked for the Royals. They were both draft picks by the Royals. Nicky Lopez out of Creighton is, is Whit Merrifield part two as far as gamer. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just tell the guy when to, when to beat the park and he'll be there. You know, It doesn't matter. I, I think he's a guy that who came back. He had a, a surgery. It was a torn meniscus, and he missed eight games. Had surgery in college, and was back eight games later. He even admitted he goes, "It was probably kind of stupid." I mean, <laughs> to do that. But I mean, you just go uh, Richard Lovelady, who's going to enter the infamous, you know, names, kind of like uh, you know Rusty Koontz or uh, was it? Help me with this. Fuka Fucko? Is that the, the <laughs> That's I, a name I want to hear Rex Hubbard say someday. Yeah, I, 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 that's one guy I've not gotten yet. But I need to get. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Richard Lovelady's funny. I don't know. I, I can talk all night about these guys, man. I get fired up talking about the minor league system i'm, I'm very I, I don't even work for the royals and i'm very very proud and i have a lot of pride uh, about the system these guys have built and it, it just makes me proud to talk to these kids and hear hear the good uh you know get to know them you know stay in touch with them and there's just a number there's a number of great kids down there who are hungry that believe in the royal way and will definitely continue to represent this team and you know when they get the baton when they get that opportunity much like merrifield eibner etc cuthbert orlando etc well, the, the prospect interviews, I think, are really uh, fascinating to listen to, especially, you know, if you're looking to the future. But for I'm a big Royals history buff, so my favorite part of your podcast, your your, your website, is the podcast interviews with the older players. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the current players, too. You have Alex Gordon on there. But um, but the, the ones I really appreciate are, like, the, um, you know, when I say older players, I'm not talking about Frank White and George Brett. I'm talking about, like, Terry Leach and mm-hmm. Luis De Los Santos and Gary <laughs> Thurman. And these are the guys that I remember – and uh, that they're just, their names are just embedded in in the recesses of my brain. Uh, first of all, t- tell us how you get some of these guys, because I mean, first of all, a lot of Royals fans don't even remember them, um, much less know where they can contact them. So how do you find Terry Leach? How do you find Luis De Los Santos? And uh, and how do, you, how do you and how do they respond when they hear that someone in Kansas City wants to talk to them about Royals baseball? Well, I paint myself green and hide in the bushes and wait for them to come out and check their mail. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, that's a great question. There's, you, it, it's, it's, it's a variety of ways. It's, it's definitely being diligent. It's kind of one of those things where I pick out, uh, I do these once a week during the offseason. I was doing them year-round, but I, I was finding out the hits weren't quite as much as they were during the offseason. So I've scaled back to just doing current players during the season every week and then the, the, the former players in the offseason. But, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I kind of pick five names, for example. Maybe I, I say, okay – the next three weeks, I want to get three of these five guys, and I just find them. You know, some of them are are current coaches. I you know, like Google the heck out of them, and that usually doesn't work. Usually, you get their baseball reference page and their Wikipedia page, and then the, the, the trail kind of dies there. So then you got to get creative. Then you got to dig out the old media guides. I've got every media guide in team history. You go back and look at their who they played with, and you know, I've, I've talked to enough of these guys from having media context. I've been in radio. A lot of people don't know this, but I'm actually a professional radio guy. I've been doing this for almost 20 years, so I, I have met a number of people through baseball that have hooked me up with other people who then know other people. So that's one way, and then I'll find a guy and find out he played with somebody, and that's another way. Next to the old Oracle there on Baseball Reference makes it nice and easy to click around. But then after that, it's just, you know, get on old-fashioned and go back to the media guys and be like a private investigator. What's their wife's name? What's their kid's name? Can I find any of them on social media? Or even playing college. A lot of them are playing college sports. They have a kid 
who's now in the minor leagues or, or playing college sports or, or what have you. And that's what was really fun. The, the kids love it. They, they're so excited sometimes to talk to their dad, and they're always very gracious. One of those guys that actually sticks out when I say that is Angel Salazar, who has never been contacted by anybody from Kansas City. He's in Venezuela now. It's very – he said he can't leave his house at night. It's so unsafe there. And, hmm. like, his son, though, was over here. I to know him pretty well, played college baseball, and his son helped me get him. And, man, they were just so excited and so grateful for the opportunity. But what they don't get, though, a lot of these guys are just so grateful that somebody from Kansas City wants to talk to him. Even a guy like Gary Thurman. I mean, even some of these guys, you know, that were pretty good major league players, your Desi Relifords and your Patch Sheridans and Tom Bergmeier and even Whitey Herzog when I had him or Jack McKeon. No one's reached out to Jack McKeon from Kansas City. It's shocking huh. to me. A number of these guys. Shane Costa, Ryan Sheely, Ray Palacios is one of my favorite guys. A guy uh, who I love was, Ray Palacios. Yeah, a guy that was, hit a walk-off grand slam against Jeff Reardon once in 1990. And a guy who was one of the first responders, not first responders, but one of the, within six hours of 9-11. He's a fireman in Rochester and a guy that grew up in Brooklyn hmm. and, and lost a number of his brothers in that tragic day back on uh, on 9-11. And it, it's, it's an interview I encourage everyone, every American to listen to on clubhouseconversation.com. Click on former players and find Ray Palacios. He, he goes on for almost an hour about what that day was like, and it's, it's hard to listen to, but it's something that we should all listen to. But, I mean, you know, it, it's amazing, these guys. Jim Colburn threw a no-hitter, and nobody remembers him. I got the exclusive from Jason Grimsley, who, uh, you know, has never talked about steroids to anybody else. Turned down everybody. Said, <laughs> told, he told me, I'm going to do one interview, you can ask me anything. And I said, really? Even about the PEDs? He said, anything you want. One time. This is it. And I got him from his teammate and, uh, and best friend, uh, lifetime best friend, Jeff Grotewald, a guy that I believe that's a major league record. He hit three pinch hit home runs for the Phillies three days in a row in a series at San Francisco. Three days in a row, pinch hit home runs off the bench has never been done before. But I think I think a lot of these guys just say, "Wow, this this guy's taking the time to research Jeff Grotewald and do a 45 minute interview." And you know what? What the hell? He's legit. He's he's a good guy. He's a Royals guy. And that's you know, the answer to the I guess the long answer to your question is just a variety of of just wanting to find guys, knowing guys, and getting a little lucky. And you know, some of it's social media, but it just every guy's different. I can tell you. A story. I could probably tell you a story for just about all the 90-plus guys that are on the website that I've interviewed. Yeah, I think it really does come through how appreciative they are to, that someone wants to talk baseball with them and someone from Kansas City remembers them. Uh, and and, you, and to your credit, you do your homework. I mean, you really know their career really well, and you seem to know the details of their uh, the playing career and, and their life really well. Uh, what What's it like, what, uh, you know, maybe, maybe one or two of your favorite anecdotes that you've heard that you were able to tease out of an interview or maybe surprising thing you heard about what it was like to play for the Royals that you got in one of your interviews. You know, it was interesting. I believe it was Jack McKean who told me that Steve Carlton was almost a Royal. That he wow. fought, fought to get him here in a trade that didn't quite happen. And then you hear uh, the late Charlie Metro, who I spoke to a couple of years ago, uh, the second manager in Royals history in 1970, told me that he was, you know, he was one of the guys that helped with the expansion draft. He was in the front office there uh, before he became manager. But he had mentioned that the Royals were looking to. You bring in Mickey Mantle. He went to Mickey Mantle to finish his career as a player coach because Mickey, of course, was from Oklahoma and ending his career. They saw him maybe as a guy that could more for PR and stuff. And, you know, but there's just, you know, I've just been, I'm kind of glancing through the archives here. I'm looking at Jose Rosado. That's a guy that I couldn't believe how much he loves the Kansas City Royals. You have no clue how much Jose Rosado loves the Kansas hmm. City Royals. He would, he, uh, I talked to him during the, the World Series in 14, and he said he would hustle home after work and he would tell his kids that, you know, they're going to leave their practice early because they got to make it home by first pitch. And a guy that just absolutely loved Kansas City. And on the other side of it, there's some guys that I've spoken to that have up front said, you know, I didn't have the best experience there. And, and uh, you know, 
So, uh, but I'll do the interview with you, and uh, uh, you know, and uh, I'm, what, what, what the heck's the guy's name? Um, God, I'm having a brain fart right now. I'll, get, I'll remember it here in a second. Uh, a pitcher back in, in the day that came over uh, that was traded to Kansas City that was actually from uh, Oklahoma as well. The pitch for the Cardinals. What's the guy's name? Uh, shoot, this is bad. Hang on, I'll find, I'll find the name here in one more second. But he was a guy that, you know, and said, I didn't have the best experience at Kansas City, but I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. Lindy McDaniel, that was a guy. Okay, I'm happy yeah. to talk to you about it, but I'm just going to give you the heads up. And Tom Gamboa, hearing him talk about being attacked by these guys and how Tony mm-hmm. Pena unfairly kind of treated him after that. And it, it's just fun hearing hearing the stories. And, and uh, you know, all these guys have their own story. I know, I know there's too many of these I have to listen to. And like you mentioned, a lot of Royals fans aren't are going to remember Jason Hockamy and aren't going to remember Jimmy Campanis and aren't going to remember Matt Tupman who hit a thousand in his career, by the way. But, you know, if you, I encourage you this off season, especially, or if you, if you travel a lot, you drive a lot, you can download these through iTunes. You can download them on the site. You can stream them. I encourage you to check them out. Uh, you know, and, and even if you don't remember them, this is great. I mean, you're going to hear about old Royals teams. You know, we ask questions about them coming up through the minor leagues, their teammates, their teammates in KC, their teammates down on the farm. Uh, and it's, just, it's very fascinating. I think if, if you're even a, a casual Royals fan, I encourage you to check them out and, also, you know, uh, I want to give you a plug. I don't mean to act like I'm sucking up here, but I want to give you a plug for your help with a number of these as well. Just from, you know, like a guy like Rusty Meacham, when I, you know, I'll, I'll Google, you mentioned the preparation for the questions. I'll go back to the media guides and find 10 or 15 things, and I'll go through baseball reference, and I'll go through baseball almanac and Wikipedia and, and uh, use my knowledge. Then, you know, a lot of times your, one of your articles will come up from the top 100 Royals of all time or what have you, and I find a Rusty Meacham article. And you've, you've often got stuff in there that nobody else has, by the way. Uh, that's very interesting. So uh, a prop, uh, you know, a shout out to you too. Well, thank you. Uh, actually, I, I I was gonna say the same thing about you. I actually used your interview with Joe Randa oh, okay. as, a, as 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 part of my article recently uh, that I wrote for Joe about Joe Randa. And what I didn't know until I listened to your podcast was that he was recruited to a junior college in Florida by a man named Allard Baird, who of course mm-hmm. later would become general manager of the Kansas City Royals. So I thought that was an interesting fact that. I hadn't seen before and that I learned from your interview with him. Also, so. Yeah, also with Randa, uh, that's the two things about him. Number one, he should be in the Royals Hall of Fame. I'll go to the grave believing Joe <laughs> Randa. You look at it, I know it sounds stupid, and I know that No, I mean, you look period. at the numbers, yeah. Yeah, he's They're top right 10 in so many categories, and defensively he was good. In my, 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 for my book, the most underrated player probably in Royals history, I think, is Joe Randa. The second thing was, uh, at the end of the interview, I remember him saying that he had a chance. I forget who was going to sign him. Somebody was going to sign him, and he could have played a couple more years, and he, and he walked away for his family, which obviously was the right move, but he said he regrets it now. That, that, that's yeah. one of the things I remember about that interview as well. Yeah, it's interesting. He, he set up in Kansas City as well and, and lived here for pretty much his entire career, which is interesting. And I think part of why he's so beloved here. So, yeah, that's a that's a really great interview. I, just, I highly recommend that one. But uh, you should definitely listen to a lot of the other ones. I think it's just cool listening to some of the guys that just barely played in the major leagues. Like you mentioned Matt Tupman, who has the highest batting average in franchise history because he hit a thousand. Uh, you know, that's those kind of guys are really interesting because it's really, you know, if you think about it, he's one of the thousand greatest baseball players in the universe. Uh, but you know, we barely remember him because he only got one chance to hit in the major leagues, but that's more hits than I will ever get in the major leagues. So yeah, it's a, uh... It's not too far behind Tony Pena Jr.'s hits either. Hey, <laughs> no, the other uh, the another one that you mentioned, uh, Matt Tubman, another catcher like that that I encourage people to listen to. I don't know if he, he probably got in about maybe 15 games, 10 games. I don't remember. Eight games. I don't know. Is Andy Stewart, a guy that caught, I believe it was 97. I think he got a cup of coffee. The, the guy will make 
you roll. One other thing I want to mention, by the way, so I can pet my site here, is uh, if you click on it, some of the, you know, people don't have time to listen. I understand that a lot of these are an hour, hour and a half. I think D Brown gave me two and a half hours. A lot of these interviews are really long. So I understand if you don't want to listen to the whole thing or some of them seem daunting. I also, to address that, have created a feature called Hit and Run. On the website and hit and run, you can get all the interviews, all 90 plus interviews with former players. You click on a player, and I had the five highlights from each interview. So if you want to, like, for example, Luis De Los Santos, or let's click on Scott Pose right now and see what's on there. Scott Pose, an outfielder, was in for Love of the Game, the movie. So we talked about the day it was filmed. Um, he loved watching the Royals during the World Series last year. We talk about that. We talk about him being the first hitter in Marlins history. So, you know, Rich Dower gives him a hard time about being in that movie and, you know, his acting skills. So, I mean, the, the five biggest things in my opinion from each interview they're about anywhere from one to four minutes long you can find those clips you know player by player those the top the top five moments from each interview on hit and run on the website and get you want to maybe browse up on some of them that way maybe some of them will make you want to hear a lot more and then you can choose which ones you want to listen to for the full if you're way behind you're obviously not going to probably ever catch up and you know the 90 plus interviews but just something i wanted to throw out there the hit and run feature on the site that's very cool and, and again again the website is clubhouseconversation.com which you should definitely check out listen to you know you can just Hunt and peck and find, uh, you know, lots of great interviews. And I think just seeing the names will, will flood, you know, cause a flood of memories to come back. I mean, just talking about Ray Plossett. I mean, I actually remember that grand slam that he hit. Do you really? I remember, I remember the fact that he could hit, hold more baseballs in his hand than like any other player. <laughs> All sorts of weird, obscure facts I can remember now because you mentioned the name. But uh, You're right. You're right. That's totally right. So, yeah, definitely check that out, clubhouseconversation.com. You can also follow Dave at on Twitter at Royals Clubhouse. Devo, thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll definitely have to have you back sometime. Anytime, man. I love talking uh, Royals baseball, and, and, and I, you, you and I did a game earlier this year. We'll definitely have to do some more games. It, it's fun doing a game with Max, and and uh, you know, it, I'm sure people around us are probably like, "Shut up, these guys like are like know-it-alls over here." But it's it sure is fun. And uh, go Royals! And uh, yeah, man, thanks for the the opportunity to talk. And whenever you want to talk, I'm here. That's awesome. All right, well, I'll definitely have you back. Thanks a lot, Dave. All right, man. Take care. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Royals Review Radio. Sean Newkirk will return next episode to talk about the Royals draft, as well as uh, talk, discuss some prospects and how they've done so far at this point of the year. In the meantime, you can uh, read all the latest Royals news and analysis over at RoyalsReview.com, part of the SB Nation network of blogs. I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.